Great. Well, hi, everybody. I want to add my welcome to Janet's welcome. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And, um, you know, last time we um, were talking about the chapter working with others, which is, you know, such an incredible chapter. And it's so much in it, you could probably spend a year. <laughs> I could spend a year talking about this chapter. I'm going to try to you know, highlight what I find most important in it. Um, and so we had left off the last time on page 95 on the second paragraph where, um, you know, you, you sort of have a situation with the person and you're not sure if they're going to continue or they're not going to continue. Do they need this? Do they not need it? Um, and it? And it sort of says that, you know, in any event, if somebody is not so certain that they need the solution or wants it, we um, offer them friendship, you know, knowing that um, we can never have too many friends, right? A good friend, having a friend, whether they want to follow the solution or not, is not a bad thing, right? To make a friend. And we're told throughout this chapter, they use the word friend 16 times. So it is important if it's repeated that much, it, it's part of the directions. So now what do you do though, if someone really isn't interested in your solution? And it says here, the second paragraph on page 95, that you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. And sometimes there's confusion about, well, how do I know if they don't want my solution? Is it if they eat? Does that mean they don't want my solution? And I don't believe that that's what they're saying here at all. They say, you know, that if they're not interested in the solution, not if they are suddenly, you know, powerless, because that's why they're here, because they don't have power. But if someone's not interested in your solution, how do you know if someone's not interested? My understanding is because they're not going to do the work you give them an assignment and they don't do it and you ask them to you know do a few things to sort of almost like test their willingness sort of determine are they really willing and if they don't do those things um you know and what i find too is that um people who aren't interested in the solution or in the solution that i'm offering start negotiating they start telling me why they have to do it their way and not the way that I'm suggesting. And, um, you know, and so it says next, if he thinks he can do the job in some other way, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. In any case, it says again, be friendly, let it go at that. So we don't waste our energy trying to convince someone to work with us. Someone doesn't want to work with me. I'm not going to try to chase them down. And we don't water the truth. We don't water down the truth. Instead, here's what it says to do. Well, search out another alcoholic and try again, right? So if somebody's not willing, if somebody wants to negotiate with me, I'm not negotiating, I'm not fighting, I'm not arguing, I wish them well. Sincerely, hopefully they can find it some other way, but I won't change the directions that I am offering. And I think it's important, why not? Because if the person, if first of all, if they're not willing, 
it's not going to work. If I start changing the directions to please them, it's not going to work. And they're going to get an indication when it doesn't work that there's something wrong with the 12 steps. And so I don't water it down. I, I, I'm nice. I'm calm. But I'm not negotiating the terms. And, and you know, for those of us that are sponsoring and newly sponsoring, sometimes it's hard because you get discouraged. You, you start to think, you know, why is it that no one's getting it? Maybe let me make it a little easier. Let me change it up a little bit. And it's not our job to make anybody get it, right? That's not my job. My job is to carry the message. And so um, what I found is sometimes people will tell me exactly what they need, right? What they want, what they need, how they're going to do it. And usually um, I just listen. I spend a lot of time. And this chapter really tells us we spend a lot of time listening to people. You know, so I listen and when they are telling me how they need to work this program, when they're done telling me all the things that they need to work the program, if it's not aligned with the way that I know that this is going to work, I usually tell them that's great. It sounds like you know exactly what you need and it's not what I have to offer. That's it. You know, when we don't, we don't look to fight with people. Um, so don't be you know, discouraged. Find someone else, right? If we chase someone, it's not gonna work. And it says here that one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. And he often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might've deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. And I think it's interesting, the word work on them. I don't work on anybody, right? I work with people. It's not my job to work on someone. That's, that's God's job, to work on someone. And sometimes that's the disease's job, to work on you. But I'll work with you. Um, and we also, I think it's important for us to note, we don't know where we're meeting people on their journey. We're not quite sure where it is that we're meeting them. So we have to just stay true to the message. Page 98, the first paragraph says, he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense, right? It's just a one word sentence, nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth, job or no job, wife or no wife. We simply do not stop drinking or in our case, stop eating so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. So, you know, if you're clamoring, it means you're strongly and loudly demanding that your wants be met. That's what it means to clamor. And if you're waiting for your life to fall into place, so that you can address your food issue, you've got it all backwards. Like I could not wait for my life to sort of work itself out and get right so that then I could address my food problem. Um, and if that's the case, perhaps you're looking for a diet, right? That's someone who's looking for a diet. And the truth is that for those of us who require this solution, our lives are out of alignment with God. 
that's what my problem was, that I was living a life that was not aligned with what God would have me be and do. And my desires are based on selfish desires and not concerned with seeking God's will. When I'm clamoring, I want my desires to be met. I'm not asking God what he has in store for me. And my solution has got to be something more reliable than on my constantly changing demands. Because my demands change like the weather. Depends on what's going on, right? And our solution is never dependent. It's never dependent on our husbands, our children, our jobs. It's not dependent on your sponsor, right? Your recovery is not dependent on your sponsor. It's not dependent on meetings, having your wishes granted. Rather, it's dependence on God. And hopefully all those other places where you're going and the other people that you're speaking with and are helping you put your hand in God's hand, but they're not God. None of those things are God. Um, you know, even that sentence about mastering alcohol, I think is erroneous. We don't master food. I am not the master of my food. Once my needs get satisfied, it doesn't mean that now I can master food. We rely on God and he masters the desire, right? So if the desire returns, it's because there's something about my spiritual relationship, that my spiritual work, that I'm not putting myself in God's hands. Second paragraph, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. And I love that. That's like, can anyone recover? Can everyone get well? Yes, it says here, absolutely, yes. If you think it cannot happen for you, you're mistaken. Here's the directions, trust God, right? Which starts, by the way, with rigorous honesty. That's how you demonstrate. That's how you show that you trust God, that you just get completely honest. And then you clean house, right? Meaning that you make the needed amends and restitutions. So you got to trust God, which means get honest and clean up your mess. And the next section discusses how we can assist and advise people who are cleaning house. You know, so when your prospect has made such reparation as he can to his family and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he's living, he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Notice it doesn't say apologize and expect instant forgiveness. That's not what it says here but we're told to make reparations, repair the damage, and often repay an amount. Then the important part, explain your new principles and demonstrate them. Not just explain them, but explain them and live in agreement with them, show people. You know, it says though his family may be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. 
So, you know, I think it's interesting when this book was written, right? And actually for myself, when I first read the big book, you know, I had no idea what they meant when they talked about avoiding something like the plague. But boy, we know what that means now. We went through crazy lengths, right, to avoid a plague. You know, in the midst of a global pandemic, what happens? Cities shut down, schools are closed, masks get worn, families stop getting together, people don't go to stores, et cetera. We went through great lengths to avoid a plague. Now, think for a moment about applying the same care to avoiding arguing and blaming. And I think about it when I'm ready to argue with somebody, I should sort of think about putting that mask on, right? And avoiding getting out of there, moving away, right? So that I don't get involved in fault finding and blaming and arguing. You know, I wasn't saying in back, you know, when I um, had to cancel certain events and not do certain things, I really didn't walk around too long saying it's not fair. It's not fair that I can't go to the mall, right? Or I can't go to the store or I, you know, um, I can't shop on Tuesday mornings when it was reserved for people that were older, right? Didn't say it wasn't fair. Um, I avoided those things, even though it didn't feel fair or easy, but I did it because it was necessary and I wanted to avoid getting sick. And it's the same here. I should not be saying it's not fair. Why can't I argue? Why can't I find fault? Um, we can't, right? Because it'll kill us. The alcoholic continues to demonstrate, says that he can be sober, considerate, and helpful regardless of what anyone says or does. Of course, we all fall much below this standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately, lest we pay the penalty by a spree. So what does that tell me? That I am going to make mistakes at times. I'm going to fall below my standard. I might find myself arguing, fault finding, right? Getting in there. What do I have to do? I have to repair the damage immediately, as soon as possible, or I'm going to eat again. That's really what it says here. Um, we make mistakes, but we clean them up fast. And I think that's the importance of having an inventory process, because I won't know that I'm making a mistake and I won't be propelled to clean it up fast if it's living in here in my brain. I think it's very important that we have an inventory practice and that we share it with other people so that those things don't lay dormant, that they're not hiding. Page 100, the first paragraph says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. I just love that. You know, to me, this is such a gift. It says that 
it's almost like I rise above my circumstances, that when I live in the spiritual plane, I can actually be happy. You know, I can live in this new, wonderful world, even when things are not going great around me. You know, it means that um, I am working, you know, when I'm working with another person, um, we're working with them along with ourselves, right? We're progressing, they're progressing. And we're walking together, getting a stronger connection with God. And, you know, I learned that this disease is progressive, right? That's what we're told. The disease is a progressive disease. And so my recovery must be as well. It's gotta be progressive. And it is, you know, I've experienced this truth. My plans have failed in comparison to God's plans. I have been the recipient of so many wonderful gifts that at first seemed like anything but a gift, right? Because, you know, I look at life and I have a human perspective. I see this much of it. Just, you know, I say it's like I'm looking through the keyhole of the door and I believe I know the whole picture, but I only see this, right? And so I think that something doesn't look very good to me. And yet, if I adhere to the principles, right? I stay close to God and I do what I believe God would have me do. I get to experience all circumstances as though they are wonderful adventures. That's what happens. And even the hard things, I don't feel as, as crippled by them. You know, I, um, God allows us to rise above our difficulties. I, I was actually at work today and my sister was sending a, a message to all of us. She, we've got like a group family group chat telling me that my mom fell, telling us know that our, that our mom fell. And, um, you know, in the moment I was, of course I was upset by it. You know, I was, I got like a, oh no feeling and, and, um, but I have a relationship with God and I have a trust and a reliance. And that, that panicky feeling was like that. It was really pretty quick. I, I stopped in the moment, you know, thankfully I've got a prayer practice. My phone, the timer goes off every hour and it actually went off like within a minute after I got that text. And it was a beautiful reminder to pray, invite God in. God's got a plan for my mom, right? We've got it. We've got, I'm not alone in this. I was able to breathe. Um, it was, it was okay. Whatever it is for the moment, it's okay. Um, you know, God allows us to rise above our difficulties. And I think, you know, when we began to take step 10 and we entered the world of the spirit, what happened? Well, when we live in the world of the spirit, one of the things that we experience in this world is the ability to rise above our circumstances. We don't just seem to have our happiness attached to our mere circumstances anymore, right? My happiness cannot be dependent upon my mother's health 
And that sounds like, what do you mean? Like that sounds almost crazy, but that's not a guarantee because the people we know and love, they get sick, right? And, and the women and men in this program who have done this for the long haul have, right? Have walked through those experiences. And although we have the opportunity and the, of course, the moment of sadness and feeling it, we know that we're not bound to our circumstances, that somehow our relationship with God allows us to not feel that sense of attachment, my happiness, my sobriety, my emotional, you know, calmness cannot be reliant on, on just my earthly circumstances. Second paragraph says, you know, that when working with the man and his family, you should not, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do. Defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Ask them to remember when they're impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. So when a sponsee tells you something, or a co-fellow tells you something that their husband did, or their mother did, or their kids said, or didn't do, or we don't jump in there and participate in their quarrels. We don't say to them, oh my gosh, what jerks. I can't believe your husband did that right? Or, or I can't believe your kids do that, right? We don't stir them up. We don't participate in their quarrels. Rather, we help point the light back on them and their part. What's their part in this? But we can also be encouraging when they fall short and they snap at their spouses, right? Or they make a rash decision. They don't they don't respond to their children the way that is aligned with their ideals. Um, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't lie, but we also don't allow people to drift into morbid reflection. And what do we do? You know, it's okay to say, all right, so you got really mad. Well, let's take a moment and acknowledge the miracle here. One, that you're recognizing it. Two, that you're willing to get honest about it. Three, that you're willing to clean it up. And wait, four, you didn't eat over it? Like the blessed fact of your sobriety. And I think that's an important job that sponsors need to do to always remind the person when they're feeling maybe defeated by when they don't behave exactly appropriate to remind them, but wait a second, you didn't eat over this. That's awesome. Let's thank God right now. Thank God right now for allowing you the protection. And now let's get busy cleaning this up, right? Um, you know, if you've been successful, it says in solving your own domestic problems, tell how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife or your husband settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. And so, you know, what this tells me is that the sponsor and sponsee clearly have a relationship. Because if I'm sharing with my sponsee my own experiences, my own struggles, 
my own imperfections, my own areas of growth. It means that I'm not treating them like a mere patient, right? Where, you know, I remember years ago when I went for therapy um, and I've gone since, it's very different when you go for therapy because you're the patient, they're the doctor, you tell them your problems and they, you know, and they'll listen or they'll give you the solution, but there's rarely, they don't share their problems back with you. They don't, you know, give you their story so that you can sort of listen and hear how they applied it. It's a very different, this is not therapy. The work with a sponsor and a sponsee is not therapy. So we do share, I share my, my own experiences. And my, my hope is that I can teach and lead through my example, right? Sometimes through my experiences that did not go so well. And I could say, you know what, when I did it this way, here's what happened and it wasn't so great. And when I did it this way, here, here's what happened for me. And so it really is a sponsor and a sponsee. It really is a relationship. You know, it, it, when they say it's the language of the heart, it's people who are really sharing the heart to heart together, really, you know, um, of a very personal nature, which I think it is important that we find someone um, who that we feel safe and comfortable with, that we can both feel safe and comfortable with one another. You know, the next part talks about how we live in the world now, right? Okay, so now that you've gotten well, now that you've recovered, now it's like, okay, practice these principles in all your affairs. What's that gonna look like, right? How this new man who has made his amends and who is practicing spiritual principles operates and functions in the world. And it says here, assuming we're spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with his spiritual status. And again, it's reminding us that if there's a problem, it's a spiritual problem, that there's something wrong with our spiritual status. Page 101, third paragraph says, so our rule is, to not, to, is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have legitimate reason for being there. And there's an important qualification, right? a legitimate reason for being there. So therefore we ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business or personal reason for going to this place? And basically they're talking about a place where there's an abundance of food and, and a place where perhaps there's alcohol if, if you're an alcoholic, right? Perhaps there's a place where there's lots of food people are eating um, or Am I expecting to steal, steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you will need ha and have no apprehension. Go or stay away. Like it's up to you, whatever seems best, but be sure that you're on a solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the equation. 
think of what you will bring to it. But if you are shaky, you better work with another alcoholic instead. So at this point, you know, um, you've worked the steps, going through the steps, and you're recovered. You know, you're sort of like released into the world again, right? Many of us, when we're actively working the steps, um, we are sort of living in a state when we often call it this hospitalization period. No, it's not that you're in a treatment facility, but we sort of treat the way that we're engaging in our recovery as though we were in an outpatient. Meaning we don't go to certain places, right? We, I usually tell sponsees, you know, when you're actively in the earlier parts of the stuff, you really don't need to go to a restaurant. It's probably not a great idea for you. Um, or like, you know, you're not the one to go to Dunkin' Donuts to pick up the, the donuts for the, for the, for the book group, right? Or whatever it is you're doing. It's, you know, it's probably not the time to be baking a cake. Like you want to insulate yourself just a little bit. But then you reach a point where you're through the steps and you're having this spiritual awakening and you're out there, right? And so we're told um, you should be free to go to all places. And if you can't, there might be something off with your spiritual status. Now, there's no reason why you can't go to social functions and business functions. That's what it's saying. Social functions, business functions. I can go anywhere if my reasons for going there are good. But if I feel shaky and unsettled, the directions are always to go work with others. So if I were having a particularly bad spell, think I was not feeling right, I was having a hard time in my life, right? And I was feeling unsettled, I was feeling shaky. I might say, you know what? I'm not going to a restaurant right now. And instead, I might work with some other compulsive eaters, right? Because that's what gives us immunity. It's what's promised in the very beginning of the book. And then it says, though, why sit with a long face? If you do go, why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it's a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know that they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends can eat, right? Your job is now to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere where you can be helpful. And I, and I say this paragraph really gives me clear directions on what I'm going to do before I go someplace. Um, I meditate and I pray. If I'm going to a place where I know there's an abundance of food, I pray before I go and I meditate and I ask God 
Help me find the person there that I'm meant to help. Put that person in my path. Help me see that person. You know, help me show others how amazingly powerful this program and God's power truly is. And, you know, when I go someplace, I really try to seek out who I'm supposed to help. And when I go that way, I'm not so worried about myself. Like my focus is really off of me. You know, one of the things that I that I do is I, I try to look for someone who might be socially awkward, who might be looking like they just feel uncomfortable. And, um, and if I make that my mission, if I make that my focus, I'm not so concerned with myself and what I'm being served and the food that's there. You know, at family functions, you know, I sit for years, I sat next to, I have an aunt that would just seem to get under a lot of people's skin. I sat next to that aunt. I listened to her tell her stories over and over again, right? I, I, I sit next to people who might not have someone to sit next to. I carry plates of food for someone who has a walker, who might be difficult for them to navigate the walker and a plate of food. You know, one of the things that I do is um, I have nieces and nephews who are now young moms and dads, and they love nothing more than to hang out and have a meal uninterrupted. And when I go to family events, I I play with their children. I make I make like looking after their kids my job, which is my delight. I mean, I have to say. It's, it actually is very selfish because I love their babies. I love to play with their babies. And, and it's such a gift. Let the parents sit, let them linger around the table and I can play with the kids. I can, you know, if my niece wants to like sit, I can go diaper the babies. I bring a ball and I roll a ball on the floor with the kids, right? It's, it's a great way that I can be of service. Um, so that they can hang out longer at the table. Um, you know, one of the stories I, I always tell here is um, I, I, and this kind of stuff has happened to me again and again, but this was a really powerful story that, you know, I went to um, a wedding in Texas for my nephew and he's been married now a number of years. And at, at his wedding, him and his wife, um, they're vegans and I, thought initially that would be so easy for me. There'd be lots of vegetables, but basically it was like a, a pasta. <laughs> I don't eat pasta. It's just what I don't eat. Right. It was like a pasta extravaganza. Like their rehearsal dinner was just like one pasta. There was nothing for me at their rehearsal dinner. And I realized that. And I, you know, I took care of myself. I got what I needed to eat. And then going into their wedding, I was traveling I did not want to bother the young bride and I was not, it's not their job to take care of me and my food. That's my job. Right. And, um, I did call the facility. I just wanted to have an indication of what they were serving. There was clearly nothing I could eat. I took care of myself. I brought what I needed to eat. I actually ate a can of salmon walking on the way from the hotel to the, where the party was. It was fine. And, but I prayed before I got to the event that please God, you know, put someone in my path who I'm best meant to help. And when you make that your mission, it never fails. 
It never fails. Got to that wedding and I'm waiting online and um, I'm waiting online to get a drink and I get a club soda and I, you know, tell the bartender, I'll put, you know, make it in a pretty glass, make it look, make it look nice for me. And um, this young man right next to me online, his early 20s, he um, turns out he's the nephew, he's the first cousin of my nephew, but on the other side. I haven't seen him since he's a toddler. And he said to me, um, oh, you don't drink? And I just said, nah, I said, nah, that ship sailed. I, you know, I don't drink. And he said, um, he whispered to me, he said, um, this is my first time I'm going to be sober at a, at a wedding. He's like, I just got out of rehab. And he's like, I don't know, how do you do these things without drinking? And I mean, it was like, you know, I wound up saying to him exactly what I do. I said, I pray and meditate that God puts before me who I'm supposed to help. And I think tonight that's you, right? And, and I mean, it was just so powerful. Like, I, you know, we spent time talking together and like the rest of the night, you know, I would catch a glimpse of him from across the room and we would just sort of like smile at each other. And, um, you know, I could care less what food was there. I don't even know what they served. It doesn't matter, right? Um, I felt safe and protected. And, you know, it says here that we're careful though, never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution, right? Um, because why not? Because that attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for their spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds that we're not witch burners. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. So I may have some opinions about the food industry about the fast food industry, right? I may have a lot of things. I may have things that I want to say oh, about diet industries and weight loss and blah, blah, blah. But I keep those opinions pretty much under wraps because if I'm vocal and I'm opinionated, I'm going to turn people off. My shares, when I share, I should not stress the evils of sugar. I should never stress the eagles of evils of any food. I happened to mention a food just before, but I have nothing against that food. I'm not anti-pasta. That's not my, I don't have a platform about that. It's none of my business about that, right? If I, if I show intolerance, I am like holding a flag and waving a flag against particular foods or against particular strategies, against, against anything. I'm gonna turn people off because the real solution is not to be against anything. That's not, that's not the solution. The real solution is to be on fire for God, is to have a passion about higher power, about a relationship with God, not an anti-platform about food. It says here that someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. And then it says the problems are of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. 
Besides, we've stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. And what I would say is, if I have a spirit of intolerance and I turn people off, that's not going to stop them from eating, right? If somebody is eating and they want to eat those other foods, and I believe it might be a problem, and I show intolerance, and I make it uncomfortable for them to be around me, that does not mean that they're going to stop eating those foods or stop doing whatever it is that I think is problematic. What it means is that they're going to stop doing those things in front of me, meaning they're going to avoid me. How can we help people that are avoiding us? So when I show up at an affair and people are eating and their plates are piled high and they're doing whatever, if I believe that they're compulsive overeaters, I am even more friendly, gracious, less judgmental than anything on their plates because I want them to be in my company. I want them to feel comfortable with me. I wanna speak nothing about the food but I wanna be somebody who demonstrates a relationship with God. That's what I wanna demonstrate for those people. And I think that's the best way that we can work with others. And with that, I will pause.